Hi, I'm Amanda and welcome to Self. On this podcast, I share ideas, experiences and have conversations to explore the self. By developing our self-awareness, we can better show up for ourselves and those around us and hopefully all live happier and healthier lives. On today's episode, I am very excited to have joining me again, my dear friend, Alejandro Pedraza. Alejandro, welcome back to Self. Hi, Amanda. It's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, it's so great. You are officially the only guest to have come on twice. Amazing. <laughs> I love being the first one on Self. I know. And today I asked you to come back so we could talk about a pretty juicy topic um, because of one of the recent episodes I recorded. We are asking and we're talking about whether men and women can be friends. Right on. I mean, the fact that I'm here, like we, we've been friends since we met in Bali and I'm, I'm a firm believer that it is possible. It's just one of those things that you just have to be understanding that it's a different game that male to male or female to female kind of friendship yeah different kind of dynamics so before we get into that though um i want to know what you've been up to what's going on well i'm currently in mexico for now i'm going to be moving around a couple places for the remaining of the year while i'm here and the reason why i came back is because i needed a little bit of technical help uh i'm developing more of a nomad aid approach where I'm trying to work from the background of psychology, but all more specifically, evolutionary psychology and neuroscience to help fellow travelers better regulate while they're on the road. Something that that you and I both experience is how yeah. demanding moving around and exploring going through new adventures, learning mm. new cultures, trying new dishes. As fun as it is, it can be quite energy consuming. So what I'm trying what I'm aiming to do is provide a service for other travelers that will better that will help them better understand how to regulate and how to look at their travels with more ease but also with a better strategy for the future. And when you're talking about regulate, you're talking about the nervous system specifically? I'm working mostly, I'm working from the nervous system. And what I'm trying to boil it down to is kind of like an input-output dynamic. Whereas if you put this amount of hours for this particular task, you're going to get this outcome. So whether it's regulation, whether it's rest, whether it is keeping your energy levels, concentration, creating habits, all these different things that can be quite confusing and challenging while you're on the road. I'm trying to, I'm working on a blueprint for other travelers. And was this inspired by the year that you spent abroad recently, just last year? Absolutely was. It was a very, it was a very enlightening year to understand some of the cha- some of the challenges that different personalities face, but also the general challenges that as 
human beings with a nervous system we're going to be facing. The, the challenges are just going to change in intensity based on your personality and your resilience and previous experience and whatnot. But your nervous system is the same. Like the way that it is going to be brought up and the way that it is going to need to rest mm. after particular events or the way that you need to prep it for particular events, pretty much the same. Yeah. So the chemicals, the the impulse, the impulses, the impulse responses, all these different things are very similar among all of us. And because I was immersed in not just experiencing it within myself, but actually seeing it firsthand on other people, it mm. really helped me boil it down to see, okay, this particular situation or this particular challenge could have been very easily prevented if we would have done X, Y, or Z. Right. But this specifically, what you're designing is for travelers, for nomads. That's what, I, that's what I've been focusing on. This is a lot of the stuff that helped me during last year because it was like you're talking about 12 countries in 12 months with a couple of countries in between just to explore around or, or do a couple of side trips. But we were living in, in 12 different countries within the year. And that's a lot of either cultural shock, language exchange, uh, adapting to mannerisms and different ways of living that in some countries were more challenging than others. So it's how can you create strategies that will help you regulate not just while, like both while they're happening, before and after because that's something that sometimes it's forgotten where it's like oh you can like you create maybe you have a great meditation practice or you have other things that are very constant in your everyday life while you're in the same city but the moment that you start moving around between time shift and whatnot those habits that you have that you had very uh you had a lot of ease going into them become a little bit more challenging. Yeah, definitely. So how can you start prepping for those challenges beforehand mm. without really being like overwhelming, but uh, there's a way to tackle them in a smart and strategic approach. And that's what, yeah. I, that's what I've been doing. And that's what I've been developing for other travelers that I want to be helping out with. Yeah, that's awesome. I think the traveler experience is one that's very unique. So the way, you know, you and I were literally just speaking about this before, um, the intensity that comes from not having that regular routine and structure is really challenging. It's demanding on the nervous system. Absolutely. And for sure, I know firsthand how difficult that can be when you have something like a solid morning routine in place and then you start moving a lot and that goes out the window. And doesn't matter how long you've had it for. I think it can be, yeah, a very difficult thing to hang on to. So good for, for sure. you. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, coming back to what we were talking about. It's uh, it's a different challenge. It's not just oh, I'm gonna go on on vacation or oh, I'm gonna go on this particular experience for this fixed amount of time, and I'm just gonna do that. What we are doing and what I, the the people that I'm trying to help are 
I want to explore the world, but I know that I still have responsibilities. Yeah. I still have a job. I still have checking. I still have to keep up with the with the job or the source of income that it is allowing me to do all these different things. So it's an added level of of difficulty. Yeah. So with that in mind, like you were saying, is how can I create the support system? And this includes both the habits, the things that I do, but also the people that are surrounding me and how I um, best my time mm. and how do I manage my energy in the most effective way for what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah, that's great. That's going to be very valuable. I'm stoked for you. It is, it is exciting because it's been a while since I've sit down and created something mm. where I've, I've seen firsthand the difficulties and I'm like, okay, all of these difficulties, they are fixable. Like there are ways to tackle them in a way that whoever is experiencing this or will probably experience this can have a way better outcome of an experience. I'm very excited to see this all come to fruition for you. Thank you. And I'm glad. It's a wonderful thing, I think, to be able to use our own experiences to help people. Yeah, that's you know something that you and I have connected over a lot. And in fact, yeah. I mean, like I shared in our other episode that we recorded together, you've been a big part of my life. And I'm, I'm excited for other people to be able to learn from you and um, I think you're just going to add a lot of value to people. You've added so much value to my life already um, and I'm so grateful to have been able to benefit and to, yeah, have you in my life. So thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. It's uh, <laughs> I really appreciate that. Oh, Alejandro. But, yeah, that. You know, actually, that's a good segue to go into what we want to talk about today because we, we've we been friends for four years and we met in Bali through freediving, through Apnea Easter, great yep. school, and we were diving together. Um, and we have such a special friendship that I'm extremely grateful for. And we're both heterosexual people who... You know, you're a man, I'm a woman, and we've got what I would consider an extremely healthy and um, valuable platonic friendship. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, the past few weeks, couple of weeks, um, I have been receiving a lot of interesting comments on my episode that was on um setting boundaries versus control. And in the episode, I shared about an experience with an ex who told me that I couldn't have any male friendships and that, you know, he wanted to discuss the nature of all of my existing friendships, which was not okay for me. So that brought up this idea because I think it's something that has been spoken about and, and debate about I'm sure it's quite a polarizing topic about whether you can be friends with the opposite sex yeah and I mean it's it's a very common thing to hear at least from my uh, end mm. both family members and some of my friends 
Mm. Whenever I tell them like, oh, I'm going, I'm either going dancing or I am gonna, I'm going to take coffee with these female friends. It's almost like second nature that it's immediately assumed that there's a romantic intention. Whenever a male and a female are interacting, there's always a level of, of romantic or whatever, however else you want to frame it. There's always like a like an underlying intention there. Mm. Uh, I think that's a very common understanding of of how that dynamic works, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. There are, there are, like in in psychology, there's always this notion, there's this joke where it's like, don't project your previous experience on someone else. Like there's always this joke where it's, uh, how how do you translate? There's there's the saying in Mexico where we all speak about how the carnival went for us. So it's like my experience. So therefore you generalize it and you say like, it's always like this, yeah. which is not necessarily true. It might mm. be true in your experience in that particular case. And we're not going to say no, like we're not going to invalidate your experience. But that doesn't qualify for it to be able to extrapolate to everyone. Yeah. So do you think then that one underlying assumption that exists there where an interaction between two people of the opposite sex is romantic because for an individual, for in their experience, it has always been romantic or whether they're in, you know, for their own intentions, it's always romantic. And therefore for anyone else in that interaction, it must be as well. Well, yeah. I mean, going back to this whole um, idea of working from the, neuroscience perspective of things Mm. right so your brain very rarely is taking things as they are your brain is most of the time asking what does this look like that's just that's just a given pattern like the brain is a predictive machine it's a predictive organ that's that's the thing that it is trying to do based on the information that it already has so there has been cases because it has happened in the past where this very referred to experience, human experience of the friend zone yeah. is bespoken on, on another human. And mo- most of the time, not saying all the time, but most of the time is the female that friend zone, the guy the that is coming in with romantic intentions. And the guy, because for whatever reason, at that particular point in time, it looks like a fair or like a rational strategy to it. Like, okay, I'm going to do the whole Trojan horse approach to this particular battle. And I'm just going to sneak past the defenses and wait until the defenses are like the guards are, are sleeping. The people are, are distracted. And that's the moment where I strike. It has happened. Like it's a yeah. worst strategy. It's a, it's a romantic strategy for some. Again, who's going to say, like, oh, female, as heterosexual female, heterosexual male cannot be friends? Well, probably someone that either witnessed that invasion or was a victim of that said invasion. So it's, we're using predictive mechanisms to say, oh, this is the most likely outcome. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting for me because most of the comments that I received on one of the reels was all from men who um, overwhelmingly agreed and they were like, absolutely, any man with (laughs) self-respect would say the same thing, which is so interesting for me because I would like to consider myself friends with a lot of extremely respectable men who have high levels of self-respect, yourself included. And I'm like, well, I know for a fact that these guys would disagree with this. Um, But it's interesting because I think we can look at it from multiple perspectives. So when when I started thinking about this idea of um, men and women being friends, I break it up, right? On the one hand, I go, okay, biologically, men and women are different. We are wired differently. So there's a biological perspective about how each of us function and operate. Then there's the biological perspective of ultimately, you know, if you're heterosexual, there's sexual needs and desires, there's natural attraction. So there's that that exists. Um, and then we start kind of going into, as you said, the social constructs. So the idea of like being friend zoned, and then we talk about people's individual experiences and then even going into insecurities and projecting that. So for me, it's so interesting because there's so much to talk about. Um, and why I wanted to speak to you about it is because we offer different perspectives. Um, even though we've had quite similar life experiences to some degree we've both traveled a lot we both have male and female friendships Um, but you're a man and I'm a woman and so you know let's look at it biologically from the way that we approach the opposite sex when you look at a woman or when you meet a woman From what I know about guys, which I admit might not be that much because anything I hear is obviously not my own, I'm not a man, I don't know what a man's experience is, but it's from conversations I've had with guys that most of the time guys are like, yes or no, kind of, I, I, yep, that's someone who I would date or not. And that's like, it's almost like this instant in the moment decision upon meeting a woman. Is that your experience? I'm not asking you to speak for all men, obviously, but is that something you've heard? Is that something that you experience? Um, I think in this particular scenario, one of the things that I would just clarify for this conversation, we're talking about attraction, right? So we're talking about the moment that you first see somewhat like in biological terms, or yeah. a suitable mate like it's not even like an individual because like at that point it's like is this game or is no game because that per- that other person you don't know a lot except of how they look so at that particular moment is like at that particular point is like do i find this person attractive that is one i'm not saying is the only that is one of the things that from a brain perspective is definitely going to happen in both male and female brain because there's also these same like it's one of these like a street knowledge that has a little bit of backup to it where it's like it takes uh, seven seconds for a woman to determine whether or not she's going to say yes if you approach her so it goes both ways like the attraction element that happens 
on the human brain, it, it, it is that fast. Yeah. And that, that's that instant physical attraction that you're talking about. It's purely physical and nothing else. Exactly. Mm. So there, there's, there's that uh, physical element to it. And I'm pretty sure that the general audience will have had this experience where, it's like, where you meet someone that from the physical standpoint you find attractive and the moment that they open their mouth and say something <laughs> is like 100%. gone, like absolutely gone. Yeah. One of the things that, that it is very embedded in your narrative is the visual uh, weight of things. We talk. We very often talk about like whether something is aesthetic, like the appeal that this particular painting or that this particular physical object has. Like we, as a species, we're very heavily reliant on our eyes, and the construct. Like coming again to like the social constructed narrative of the visual uh, sense or the, the, the sensory, like the visual. Yeah. The visually stimuli is very important for us. So we create a very big narrative on that. This whole notion of love at first sight. Yeah. It's very eyes dependent. Like we rely a lot on that and our narrative relies a lot on that. So of course we attribute heavily to that first impression, to that first moment where you see the person and either you know or you feel attracted. Yes. But there's a bunch of other elements that are still active as you interact with the person. Such, came, such comes the example of you, you find someone attractive, they open their mouth, they say something that just doesn't resonate with either of your values or your taste or whatever. Immediately, the attraction bumps. Yeah. And just like with that particular example, there's a bunch of other elements that constitute attraction. Yes, there is a, there is a physical element that it is undeniable. Mm. But there's a bunch of other stuff. Uh, for instance, there's this very interesting research that has been conducted about... In English, it's called chemosignaling because if you say pheromones, it's like, oh, that's a rat thing. And then the people from there is like, no, that's actually from, from, from the flies. Like the insect researchers, like actually pheromones came from a fly study made in the 60s or whatever. So we, for humans, we call it chemosignaling. Okay. There's a whole process of chemosignaling that, again, in our narrative, smell is not as heavy as our eyes. But we are far more as a species reactive to smells mm. than we are to visual. So the smell, the way that we perceive something to be tasty or appealing from our, from our ability to smell something creates a way stronger and a way more visceral reaction in all of our nervous system. So then that, right. that's a whole other aspect that Again, can make it or break it. Like I like we've talked about visual system, we talk about auditory system, and we talk about smell. All of those elements, they intertwine and they they play this game inside of us that we call attraction. Yeah, into an overall, an overall sense of attraction. So then it comes back to this dynamic. So when a heterosexual male, heterosexual female, when they meet, 
yes, like maybe the eyes like what each other see, but then as the interaction go, everything else fades away. And it was like, yeah, objectively, that might be an attractive person. But it's not that doesn't necessarily mean that in your subjective experience, you're going to find that person attractive. Yeah, 100%. I would dare say that's my experience with most men. <laughs> and I think that that's one of the things that people have a hard time being honest about. Whereas, do you or do you not find that person attractive? Because for a friendship, and I, I like this is something that I believe in, is for a friendship to remain a friendship, you have to be cautious about attraction. Mm. Because, you yeah. know, like, attraction is, a, like, is, is a whole, like, what we're talking about, it's a whole system that you cannot really control. But at some point, it can flip you into, start acting like a completely different person. Yeah. And when you are acting from a mating strategy of attraction, where you find the other person, like, a suitable mate, for whatever reasons you want to add, and you start acting from that um, strategy, mm -hmm. then it would be questionable to call that a friendship. Well, it's no longer then a truly platonic friendship, is it? If if there's essentially there's an ulterior, to some degree, an ulterior motive. So we and come back to, to, the sneaky, to the sneaky strategy, right? So we come yeah. back to like, you're holding back your, like the true intentions when you interact with the other person. And I think yeah. that dishonesty is the thing that would not allow friendship to flourish. Yeah. And it, like, it's one of those things where you just have to call it as they are. It's like, you're not, like maybe you're not friends with that person. You just find that person attractive. And thus far, you have not received a confirmation of that person finding you attractive as well. Or for whatever reason, that person is not capable of, of reciprocating your emotions. Mm -hmm. Right? But then that like, that doesn't qualify as a friendship, just the way that you were that you were saying it. So it's like one of those things where you have to be very honest about: Are you on a friendship, or like, are you in a in a friendship dynamic, or are you just waiting for something to happen? I think that can be a challenging thing for people to be completely honest about their intentions, because there's also what we present to the world and what we really know and acknowledge within ourselves. And I would certainly agree with you that if you're honest about your intentions and you say, hey, you know, there's an attraction here and I'm hoping for there to be more, then you're not operating really within the agreements of of what is expected from a friendship on both sides. Like I guess, it, you know, because it's different if you say to a person, hey, I'm attracted to you and I'm hoping for there to be more and then the other person says like, yeah, maybe, then you're still exploring something different Yeah. in the event that the person responds and is like, I am not attracted to you. And all I am willing to have is friendship. 
I think on the other, on the side of the person who has the attraction, really being honest and saying, can I resolve this within myself and accept friendship truly? Or am I still being sneaky? That's that's a question for the individual, even if the actions on the outside look the same either way. Yeah, of course. Like the the intentions behind actions uh, can be a great um, indicator of mm. what the situation is. And also we have to understand like there are a bunch of other cues that sometimes and this is male perspective. This is mm. this is male understanding a little bit about the male behavior. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, it has been recorded that we are not the brightest example of how to flirt when it comes to when it comes to uh, mating strategy from heterosexual male to heterosexual <laughs> women. Yeah. Um, because there is, and, and that's the part where it's like coming back to biology, biology is involved. There is a whole peacock spirit, spirit that, that kind of like possesses us and, and makes us, like it's been, it's been recorded that pupils dilate, the pitch of your voice changes, the, it's, it's unconscious. Like none of this is like, yeah because for for female listening like maybe this is the first time that they're listening to this like it's not like we're trying to as a matter of fact the pitch of the male's voice go higher instead of going lower like when we find someone that we attract and that's a the whole cartoonish thing where we go like that that change on the pitch like that's a purely biological thing and that's something that gives away very very fast we have to understand like those are the cues and sometimes that's also coming back to what you were saying it, it we not always have the best tools or the best advices or the ver or, or, or the best guidelines for where we're we are in that situation so i'm telling you now like whenever your behavior changes in a matter that you don't fully understand like if you look back five seconds ago like why did i say that like why did i sound like that like <laughs> Why all of a sudden, like, I changed my posture yeah. so drastically? Like, it's giving you, like, your body is telling you, like, there's attraction there. And that's purely biological. What happens from there is coming back to what you were saying, is having the agency and the honesty and, like, the, the ability to, to see that there's attraction there. Hmm. And again, sometimes I believe based on, based on the last year that I had the chance to meet people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different things. One of the things that I believe is lacking on the male, on the heterosexual male experience right now are the tools to better understand those kind of abrupt emotional changes Mm. because for us like stability is kind of like one of the the main things that we're kind of like thrown into and and the whole stereotype i believe of 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 masculinity even in in the healthiest form or on Mm. the unhealthiest form they all have a a level of 
stability. Mm. And whenever that stability is disrupted, that's kind of like when we're thrown off we, or we're not entirely sure how to respond. Like we get weirded out and at some degree, it also feels like admitting a, a degree of vulnerability. And that feels very, very awkward for the average masculine personality. Mm. So it's, it, it can be quite challenging on that end. But also it's important for us to understand like it's very natural. Yeah, it's very normal. The idea of attraction, especially in the space of being a person who's in a relationship. So if you're in a relationship and then you recognize attraction, as you said, sometimes we're in denial about that. And I think that's probably the first stage of, I suppose, being unrealistic or dishonest with yourself. The way I look at attraction is that it's a very natural, normal, biological thing. As you said, we like see a person instantly and there's this moment of, yes, there's physical attraction or not, and then perhaps an interaction ensues and then there's more of a, yes, there is an attraction or no, there isn't. But I see that as separate to an active decision on how we then interact, kind of coming back into that intention, right? You can have an attraction to a person and, in fact, in my own personal experience, in a relationship or not, you can experience attraction with people all the time. You experience connection with people, um, whether that's people you already know or connection with a new person. And I suppose for me that can all still exist within the boundaries of a healthy relationship, right? Attraction, that kind of that immediate attraction that exists is one thing and then pursuing because there's an attraction for me is then now we're entering some murky territory. Um, But I think what it is that people are so resistant about when it comes to the idea of male and female friendships is the idea of these friendships when you're in a relationship, when one or both people are in a relationship. I think that is where the idea starts becoming quite challenging um, because from my perspective and what I see is we start to project whether it's our insecurities or our own lived experiences onto another person or onto a particular situation and say, no, it can't be possible. You know, as from all of our experiences, we understand that attraction can exist. But I'm wondering whether there's this division in the road because for some it's possible to have an attraction and make an active decision to maintain a platonic relationship and perhaps for some it's not. Well, first of all, I think it's it's really helpful and and it's very spot on to create this kind of like framework of how we're going to talk about female and male friendship. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about it when there are partners involved, because like you said, there, when there are more people involved, that's when it can become trickier. That's when Mm. maybe more attachment style issues or previous experiences or different things 
will for sure come to the surface. Yeah. So, so far we've, we've agreed that yes, there's this component of attraction, which is just a regular biological human experience, human experience, how we decide then to act based upon that. It's probably the thing that it is going to create or not create turmoil within an existing, an existing romantic relationship. Mm. And I think this is also, again, coming back to what we said at the beginning, it's still, it shows a lot of how people perceive the world. So how fast are people to judge or react or say that things are in one particular manner? Yeah. That says a lot about their previous experience. So, for instance, I believe that a lot of masculine approaches will be very uncomfortable if their female romantic partner has other male female friends, especially if that boyfriend, uh, partner, husband, whatever, has a hard time trusting those other male and i think that's a that's a common fear or a common concern among men because the sneaky part the whole horse like the whole uh, trojan horse that we were talking about earlier like that was carried out by men mostly and i think in history like it was all men inside the horse and i think that's still a solid strategy like as we said in, I think there's a saying in war and in love, everything is fair or something like that. All is, all is fair in love and war. There you go. So, again, this strategy can, can be very easy to, to see or very easy to project upon other males. So, if my female partner has... Um, go for it. Yeah, no, I was just about to say, but th- those are two things, right? One is it can be easy to identify because you've experienced it yourself. Yeah. And then the other, as you said, is or easy to project onto another person. So one is like, and that's a challenging thing. Is it really there or am I projecting this onto a male because of my experience? Well, I think that one of the trickiest and yet most beautiful parts about the whole human experience is like, they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Like it's not just like, oh, every time that that happens, it's just the dude projecting his insecurities and his yeah, yeah, past. Yeah, of course not. 100%. It's not, no. Because then again, like there's this other part where it's like, there will be cases where we as male, we identify that strategy. It's not that we're projecting. It's like all the signs are there. Yeah. And you may be with your buddies and you're like, yo, am I crazy? And they'll be like, no, bro, like he's doing this, 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 and that. Like that's that's a that's a Trojan horse um uh, strategy. <laughs> yeah. So it's both like it's both things. Mm. And again, if we were to be radical about things, there's also this part where the healthier the healthier masculine experience with that 
would involve the opportunity and the, the mastery of oneself enough to be able to speak about it. Mm. Speak about it with a friend or speak about it with a partner and in a, in a way where it's not demanding, but it's like, hey, I'm noticing this. And that would be a really, like, again, from a narrative standpoint, we talk, we talk very highly about our emotions. We talk very highly about how we're feeling. And feelings are great cues for the environment. Mm-hmm. As, as, as a very simple example, like the our ancestors that were walking close to the cliff and were like, oh, this feels really weird on my tummy. I'm going to walk closer to the wall. Yeah. Eventually grow up. To become our ancestors and the other ones that walk very close to the cliff line is like ah it's ah. <laughs> didn't make it to the gym pool so there's a reason for feelings like there's something there to explore that doesn't make it a fact so exploring these feelings and exploring a little bit of the understanding of hey what could be causing or what would be the origin of all of these behaviors that are creating these feelings in me. So is it that I recognize that that other dude is doing the whole Trojan horse thing and that my partner is unaware of it? Is it that he's creating the Trojan horse and my partner is aware of it? Is it that he's not creating the Trojan horse uh, strategy and I'm the one seeing it? Mm. Again, there are a lot of things there. And it's very, like, again, like the reason why that Trojan horse still exists is because it is a strategy and it is a sneaky strategy and it is a, like, to a degree, it could be considered a dishonest strategy. Mm. But it is there. That doesn't mean that any cross-sex friendship... Co-ed friendship. Uh, yeah. Co-ed, thank you. That doesn't mean that any co-ed friendship will necessarily have to go through that. So again, mm. like we're talking about different possibilities that within the human experience can happen. Whereas there is indeed the strategy, the sneaky strategy taking place. There is just the illusion of the strategy taking place. And then there's friendships that will not have that because there either is no attraction. There is enough respect for the other person's uh, dynamic to know how to set your own boundaries and know how to set boundaries with your friendship. And you like, I have a friend here in my hometown that I know that she's my friend as long as she's single. Because she like she has these more of a old school uh approach to things and I know she will distance herself from me because of that relationship. Is it because the guy asked? No, that's just her style. And we've been friends since we were 12. I've known her through enough boyfriends to know that that's just how she operates. Yeah. And I'm very okay with that because I've learned that that's her style and I have no other intention that 
hanging out with her every now and then, sharing jokes. We've known each other for a long time. And we have this innate desire for the other one's well-being that doesn't need anything else. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a beautiful and true friendship. It's just about wanting the best for the other person, whatever it looks like for them at any given time. And if that means for their, you know, in your case, for her relationship to thrive, that I think it, it's just natural when you're in a relationship that you spend more time with your partner yeah. and emotionally you're obviously more dependent upon your partner than you are with anyone else. I think it affects all friendships, in fact. It's not only your necessarily your co-ed friendships, but I see it happen just generally because your availability changes, your emotional capacity changes. Absolutely. That's, that's just a normal thing that happens. Um yeah, but it's for the individual, I suppose, to to understand and decide for themselves what those boundaries look like when they're in the space of a relationship. Um, it's interesting to me um, the difference between the male and female experience. I don't think I've ever done this Trojan horse thing, um, but I wonder if that's also because according to the stereotypical male and female experience most of the time it's kind of like the guy chasing and it's usually the woman saying yes or no so I've never really been in in well I don't want to say never from what I'm thinking and what I can recollect I haven't been in a situation where it's like I've been attracted and wanted to be with someone who friend zoned me and so I'm like I'm just gonna stay here and keep going um so you're right in that that's not something that exists at the forefront of my mind particularly when it comes to my partner's friendships um so when I look at my partner and his female friendships I'm not thinking she's just friends with him because of this because my lived experience is with all of my friendships with men, I'm not attracted to them and I have very healthy boundaries with my guy friends and, you know, with the few exceptions of who I've ended up dating, the overwhelming majority of my male friendships, like 95% of them have always only ever been purely platonic. And so for me that lived experience is the majority is completely fine. So I don't project that onto females and I'm never really suspicious of women's intentions but because of what we hear about the difference between men and women and how I've grown up and what I've been told about men my natural instinct my insecurity whenever it's arisen has come from a mistrust of a partner Mm -hmm. it's And it's interesting that for men, you know, what you were saying is like because guys know guys, the mistrust is men. And then I'm I'm only going to speak about my experience. It's like, well, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of mistrust towards men. (laughs) That's the pattern I'm picking up on. You know what? We've had a very bad rep. Yeah. And they're... I'm not going to say there's a reason for that because that sounds a little bit like shooting myself in the foot. 
but <laughs> throughout recollected narratives, uh, again, this lack of I'm gonna say impulse control, just so it's not entirely sexual. Like I'm I'm not talking about like just exclusively like sexual mastery, but like behavioral mastery. Mm. It takes quite some time for the male to acquire. And mm. I'm the first one to admit it. Like it's <laughs> like I'm a I'm a I'm a textbook case. Of, you know how old must a woman be in order to have the same impulse control as a 24-year-old man? How old must the women be in order to have the same impulse control as a 24-year-old dude? I dare say teenager. 10 years. I'm going to guess. How? 10 years old for the female to have the same <laughs> level of impulse control as a 24 year old dude. That's crazy. Again, there's a lot of uh, chattering about whether or not it's entirely biological. It's also like the, the peer pressure of the female for to, to behave in a particular manner that, uh, that, that kind of like uh, jumpstart this and, and allows for this huge 14 year old gap to exist probably hormonal as well there, there's plenty of reasons there but um yeah just coming back to it so imagine like for a dude that had to go through 24 years of doing dumb stuff and this is like this is me like i've I've done the trading horse strategy. Like I've done, like I've done a lot of stuff when I was younger, when I had a, a, a way worse ability to self-regulate and like to impulse control. Mm. So I get it. Like I get how when you're a young man facing the world, especially like let's say when you first go to college where you're like what, 17, 18? when you first go into these experiences and then there's alcohol involved and we all know like prefrontal cortex like your ability to properly think doesn't doesn't really finish developing until you're 25 and you're starting drinking booze when you're 18 21 if you're in the states whatever but anyway like it's still like it, you see how it's a mismatch so when you combine lack of impulse like lack of impulse control uh, intoxicating substances and all of a sudden being thrown into the world without the and if you were lucky enough you had a childhood that allowed you to kind of like experience a little bit of what was um, like what was it like to deal with the consequences of your actions because that there's 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 a very Pavlovian reward punishment kind of learning curve in there where it's like you do this that person feels bad then you feel bad fantastic don't do that thing again very simple if you if you were lucky enough to have that maybe just maybe you will not be bumping into dumb ideas and thinking that they're good right. <laughs> as often or not 
taking into consideration how the other person might feel if you decided to play either with their feelings or with their friendship or with whatever. You see how I'm coming back around to this part. Where, again, where does this bad, um, what was the word that we used before, uh, bad reputation that male have? It comes from there. It comes from the fact that we have, like the, the masculine, very, very masculine brain we have a very strong tendency for past intense outcome experiences mm. so that creates a, a very steep learning curve for a lot of us yeah but then again why do male uh why do male mistrust male? Why do female mistrust male? Well, there's there's a lot of that in there. There's yeah. a lot of past experiences. And the reality is that not all the time are we either challenged or invited to outgrow that way of behaving. Yes, and that is ultimately what I see as the most beautiful opportunities that can come, that can arise from these situations because I can see where, okay, so we we exist to a point where we recognise and simply accept this and go, all right, well, men can't be trusted. So then the best thing to do is let's not have co-ed friendships and in a relationship as a woman I don't trust my man. And for me that's not the kind of dynamic or world that I want to live in both because I've fortunately been able to experience so much more than that but because as you said there are absolutely opportunities to outgrow these things and I don't think it's a fact that men simply can't be trusted I don't think it's a fact that all men have ulterior motives I don't think it's a fact that if you're in a relationship and you have friendships of the opposite sex, that that is going to kill your friendship. I think that what it is is ultimately now there's an opportunity for vulnerability, an opportunity for introspection and to notice things, to notice, as you said, when you can witness something in another person that's going on and go, hey, maybe maybe this guy here is trying to Trojan horse my partner Maybe my partner is aware or is unaware of this. What's coming up for me? What do I notice? And then how can we have a conversation about this that ultimately allows an opportunity for deeper connection rather than um, enforcing any type of particular control or, you know, enforcing any rules or anything on this? Because ultimately... As individuals, I do believe we all want our own autonomy and we want to make decisions for ourselves. And we can't, like, as much as you might want to, you can't actually control an outcome. You know, the desire to go, my partner can't be friends with the opposite sex is ultimately to control an outcome that you're afraid of happening, which I dare say most of the time what people are afraid of is being cheated on and being hurt. I feel like there's plenty of things to unpack from from that part. Uh, but yeah, like the first thing that I would point out is something that we talk about where is 
what are the feelings that are coming up and what is it the thing that it is bringing them up because like in the example that you gave is is a trojan like is a trojan horse strategy happening yes no is my partner aware of it yes or no from my end of the partnership is it affecting me because i feel like i'm being played or is it affecting me because it's bringing up past experience Mm. so again like those are already six variables within like the three individuals involved in the scenario right yeah so if there's a like if there's some talking from a man perspective like if you're like if a dude is experiencing bees well those are those are six elements that it's important for you to consider because as men we freaking love formulas so like if if you if you tell me the steps to do something i'm gonna love it so the steps are identify whether or not it's happening easiest way see like Get a witness, like get someone that can actually confirm your idea. Like, is it happening? Is there someone else witnessing it that it is not your partner? Because if you just go to your partner and, she, and, and it's like a mismatch between what you're perceiving and what she's confirming, it's kind of hard because you're both on an emotional state. As a, from a dude's perspective, get a second opinion. Another dude will be like, yeah, that's charging horse. Or he'll be like, nah, bro, like, I don't, I don't see it. So it's kind of like a playing devil, devil, devil's advocate. And then the partner part is there are, like there is a, a part of the human experience that we like to be seen and we like to be chased. That's a fact. And, and the fact that you feel as the object of desire for someone else feels good. But then again, at what expense? So maybe you are aware of that happening. And you can explain why is it that that's important to you, or maybe you are not aware that that's happening. And then it's a matter of okay, how are you? How can we have a conversation where do I need to set a bound? Like, if I'm not aware that that is happening, then setting like maybe, but if I'm not aware that that's happening, but it is affecting my partner, and it is indeed happening, then it becomes this part where am I comfortable setting up that boundary? Am I comfortable like being like, hey, actually? I I was not aware that that is happening. It is, in fact, happening. I don't need it to keep on happening. I'm not getting a kick out of it anyway. So it's like, is it worth it to allow that to keep on happening? Or should I do something about it? So again, like this is kind of like a, a very uh, broad strategy for a very specific scenario. Yeah, like they're like I'm pretty sure everyone has a different story and has like a different way of going at it. That is one part of what we were talking about, like how how to how to deal with it. And then there's the other part that it's also open for the growth of the partnership, where is that that you're feeling that that it is real, that it is happening. You're both aware. Now you both know like the elephant is indeed in the room. How are you gonna address it? And I think this is also something that it is very tricky on managing a relationship, whereas uh, when the other person is making a, a request, what is your ability to understand the other person's request? And I think it goes both ways. Like the person that it is asking and the person that it is receiving the request, how well can you actually match? And 
I'm making it sound simple because I'm just describing it right now. But when you're in the midst of an emotional roller coaster, when you're in a title of insecurities and 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 previous experiences and your brain telling you that this feels exactly like that ex from long time ago where either he or she was not capable of whatever it it feels way harder when you're inside of it 100% and i think that's also something that it is important to recognize on both ends where it's speaking about those needs it is very hard and it is very hard for both parties because opening up your needs means recognizing or being seen in your vulnerability by your partner and that's very tricky on any relationship but that is what i believe is ultimately what answers the question you know for me, very simply, can men and women be friends? And if we, we want to talk specifically in the framework of one or more being in a relationship, I think the simple answer is yes. And then the complicated answer is with an asterisk there because it it is in order to be healthy and functioning and for those in a relationship to thrive and for everyone to feel safe what it ultimately requires is a lot of self-awareness a lot of honest communication with each other a willingness to hold space and to hear the other person and to hear beyond what might be just something reactive um there are just so many different layers to that. You know, I think about myself and when certain friendships have brought up insecurities for me because of what I'm ultimately afraid of, you know, and I think that I can see a male-female friendship, you know, my partner, if my partner's got a friendship with the opposite sex, exactly for what it truly is but it can feel something it can feel like something else inside me because of my own experience but then being able to communicate that and having a partner who can see you and understand and hear that and ultimately hear the actual need which is not what I realize it's not I need you to not have friendships of the opposite sex it it really is like I need to feel safe. I need to feel secure in our relationship. I need perhaps in that moment because of my emotional state, like I might need some reassurance of this, but ultimately knowing that I do trust my partner and I think a reality of being in a relationship is that there are opportunities for us to get hurt and as much as we might want to mitigate that or to control that as much as possible unfortunately sometimes people do shitty things and i think the ability to be able to confront the way that you said it where is these are the like this is what it is bringing the what it is bringing the emotion to the surface this is the origin 
but this is not the thing that we need to tackle. We need to tackle these other aspects from my subjective experience. So whether it is the need for security, whether it is the insurance that you're not going to leave me, whether it is the reassurance that we are okay, that you're not playing tricks behind my back, that you're still being honest. Honesty is a very big thing for other people as well. Like honestly, honesty is a very big thing for me. When I feel like I've been lied to, like that can really shake me to my core. Yeah. So understanding that we have very particular um, trigger points for, for, for our emotions that are not necessarily based on the behavior itself. I think that being able to comfortably talk that through, that's the aim. But getting there can yeah. definitely take some people longer than others. Like, it has taken me a lot of years of therapy, and I'm still like, there are moments where I'm like, ah! And I can, yeah, I, me like, too. my ability to, like, verbalize stuff becomes almost like, yep. I'm with you. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's it, right? Ultimately, it just comes down to a willingness, I think, to, be more aware of what's going on for you and then having the courage to share that. And I guess my hope is that you're in a relationship with someone who can hear that because I think that that's a scary thing, to be really honest, to recognise stuff that comes up for you and then to share it with another individual who doesn't throw it back in your face because that can be something that sets you back when when you are willing to share that and then someone gaslights you or calls you crazy for thinking these things and whatever. And I think that that could cause a lot of people. I know for me it's like then I'm like convincing myself I'm crazy and imagining things um, and that kind of sets you on a whole other path where then you, you can't even trust yourself and really be honest with yourself. So um, I think facilitating an environment for yourself to feel safe within you to be honest with yourself and then hopefully having a dynamic with a partner who can also give you that space is yeah, vital absolutely i mean the i think we both uh, know it from our own personal experience but there are a few things as unsettling and as um prone to reactiveness as mm. a romantic relationship and there's a lot of elements involved. Like when we first start talking about this dynamic, whether attraction, uh, social constructs, biology, all these different things, there's a lot, like there are a lot of layers to it. Yeah. But right now, if we want to talk about the, yeah, I mean, the, the romantic growth, there's a writer, uh, Theodore Adorn, that had a phrase that goes, I'm probably going to butcher it, but he goes, you'll never know love until you experience what it's like to show yourself on your weakest end and not having the other person trump you with its power. Wow. When you, and, and that's, that's, again, that's the aim, but that's the scariest part of, of them all. It is. Being able to show yourself on your weakest point conveys 
a very, very large fear because that, that we that's how we our ancestors and a lot of story has shown with like the people that show weakness that's the moment that they get stomped upon. Yeah. And being able to show you like your weakest point in front of the person that you love and being received without them showing their power to feel superior. That is a pretty big cue for when you're when you found love. That's beautiful. <laughs> I think that's a great place to end this because ultimately, yeah, that's what a incredible foundation to build a relationship upon, being able to trust another person to not trump you at your weakest moment. Hmm. Thanks, Alejandro. It was my pleasure. I'm not really sure if we, I, I, th I feel like we did answer the question kind of. We traveled all over the place. I think, <laughs> I think in summary, you said it very eloquently, whereas like the answer is yes, male and female heterosexual people can establish friendship relationships with an asterisk. There is a caveat. There has to be an understanding of where the intentions are, not being deceivingly strategizing a Trojan horse in your relationship, and just having an understanding that just because there is a male involved doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust him just because he's a male. Yeah. And yeah. The fact that you're a male requires a level of discipline that will allow you to understand that you don't have to chase every single female that moves. And once you get there and get to the point where it's like, that's the mastery. That's when friendships can flourish, where it's like you see the other person as a friend and there's nothing in between both of you desiring the betterment of the other a true friendship yep which for me is necessary and healthy i believe for all men and women to experience yeah um being able to have different perspectives and outlooks on life and to truly have people of the opposite sex who you can depend on as a friend and to know that there's nothing else but genuine love and desire for each other to be the best that they can be and there's nothing else. It's, it's, such, a, it's such a gift. Absolutely. Like just for the sake of the perspective, like the simplest tool or the simplest thing you'll get out of a friendship like that is just the perspective. Mm. Like to be able to, to hear how things sound from the other end. And this doesn't even have to be about what you do, is what your fellow men or your fellow female act or react to certain things. Just like, oh, so that's how I look like. Yeah. And again, coming from the male experience that I've had, my female friends have been great mirrors or great. Um, carriers of lessons that I had to learn about my own 
behavior where it's like, oh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done that. And all of a sudden, like you get, you get the other, you get the other side of, of the coin, and you learn how the story that you told to yourself, how the other person perceived. Just by that, it's like it's a fantastic tool being able to have that perspective. If that alone, like if that's the only thing that you want to take out of a male-female friendship, get the perspective. It's huge. Huge. And then just generally being being able to open yourself up to different kinds of experiences, different kinds of friendships. I think men and women also do friendships differently. Yeah. We just offer we offer different things and for me, that's something I'm really grateful for and I've always been grateful for is the different male friends I've got in my life who for a long, long time, they've been there and, um, and I'm glad that I've been able to see that fostered in such a healthy way and something I certainly hope and wish upon others because it's so great to be able to have friends everywhere, you know. Yeah. So... On that note, thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. It's a comment, like just to finish it up, the, a little compliment to what you were saying. Like I've, I've, I've been lucky and fortunate enough to be part of, of your, of your f- group of friends and met a lot of them, both the female and the male. And I got to say, like, I do feel I'm going to put myself aside for this. So it doesn't sound too arrogant, but I think you're incredibly fortunate to have that kind of male uh, mm. perspectives that you've had, both from the freediving world, the snowboarding world, yeah. from all, all these different ways of life. Some of the dudes that you hang out with, like they're solid dudes. I respect them highly. They yeah. have mastery. They have they are reliant they are self-reliant they are they are trustworthy they walk the path hard they are congruent which is a very hard virtue to have and Mm. when you're surrounded by male like that for sure like the experience is going to definitely be a contrast to what other people have experienced in the past so definitely you were certainly included in that and and i do consider myself extremely lucky and I think that I select friends pretty well you know we we've spoken about proximity principle we've spoken about people who you keep close to you and I think there is wisdom in friendship you know I realized a long time ago you don't have to be friends with everyone and to be selective and to be smart about who you choose to surround yourself with so I think that it's because I have been that I've chosen the people who are close to me to be these excellent humans and I consider them to be such great humans. Obviously, you've you've been able to meet so many of them, yeah. but you are one of them as well. Um, and that, I think, shapes and forms your experience. It's hard to have the friendships that I have and then to to then come to some conclusion that men and women can't be friends because obviously for me it's like look at all these highly respectable, trustworthy men who live with integrity, men and women, yeah. in fact. It's like I both my 
my male and female friendships but you know obviously for me with the guys around me I trust them completely I, I trust them my partner trusts them to know that what we have are healthy boundaries and platonic yeah. friendships um but I see that dynamic playing out in the friendships around them as well absolutely I mean we are incredibly lucky and you and like I can say this for the both of us you and me included we're incredibly fortunate to have the circle of people that we have because that it's a very rare experience a lot of what other people are experiencing because of because of the loudness the shocking or the clickbaity nature of the events get far more get far more popularized mm. but i do believe that there are a lot of good humans out there we've been incredibly fortunate to have meet a bunch of them yeah i'm pretty sure they're we are out there there's a bunch of us like us out there as well definitely so yeah we're very fortunate about that absolutely well thank you so much alejandro for joining me and chatting to me about this today um if people want to connect with you and learn more about what it is that you are doing how can they do that Awesome. Thank you. Well, uh, the fastest way to catch up with what I'm doing is through Instagram, Alejandro Pedraza Underdash. That's, uh, that's the Instagram handle. And then from there, you're going to find a link to my webpage, which is also Alejandro Pedraza. That's where my booking for one-on-ones is happening. And there is that's a webpage where all the content that I'm going to be posting is going to be. So that, awesome. those are the two easiest ways to stay in touch with me. Fantastic. I'll include those links in the show notes. Um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening to today's episode. Always keen to hear your feedback and what you think about whether men and women can be friends. Um, you can follow the podcast at self double underscore podcast and at Amanda Latran. That's Amanda L E T R A N. I release episodes every Thursday. Alejandro, thank you so much again. Fantastic speaking to you. My I'm pleasure. Sure we'll see you back here very soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye.